Hi, everyone. A quick word of warning about this week's episode. Harold and Maude contain scenes of suicide and self-harm, and we're going to be talking about that. that. If that's something you'd rather avoid, then you probably want to skip this one. This week, Michael and I celebrated life by stealing cars, going to funerals, and watching Harold and Maude. Welcome back to How Did You Miss This, a podcast where we celebrate life by taking time out of it to fill in the gaps in our movie-watching histories. I'm Evan Toller Hickey, and with me as always, Michael Hansen and Chris DeShane. And today we're going to be discussing the 1971 cult classic, Harold and mod this film is listed in the american film institute 100 funniest movies of all time the writers guild of america ranked the screenplay number 86 on its list of 101 greatest screenplays ever written it was called uh the greatest love story of our time by no less an authority than mary from there's something about mary chris one of your favorite movies speaks so highly of this film. How have you never seen it? How did you miss this? Okay, so number one, not one of my favorite movies. Is two. Uh, yeah, we will go all day. Um, I, I honestly like didn't know this movie existed. I think that's the honest answer. It was made before I was born. Uh, it was a cult classic and it's just not something that ever really bubbled up. And I mean, the funny thing is having seen something about Mary a bunch of times where they reference it didn't, I didn't register that. Like it's not, that is not the part of something about Mary that you remember. Um, you know, there's a lot of other stuff in that movie that does stick. So it's just one of those things that like, I was like, I don't know what this is. I've, I mean, there's a lot of old movies. I have no idea what they are. So I just, I had no idea what this was until you kind of pulled it out of the hat for what we were going to watch. But Michael, you're not the only, or I'm not the only one. You haven't seen this movie too. Uh, actually, another uh, admissal listener I have watched this before. Oh. I think when I was, I think when I was eight years old. Oh my! And oh no! Because in Sweden, in Sweden, any movie is okay when you're eight years old. Did Did um, you have obvious flashbacks watching this movie like I had? No. The funny thing is, I I had no flashback because this left no impression on me whatsoever. Uh, and so I might as well have missed it because I I didn't really remember anything about it. Um, Right. So yeah, it, it was Jacob's me ladder. As one of these, my Jacob's ladder. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Except with with slightly fewer demons. Uh, Evan, why why is this the movie? Because this is the movie that you you uh, picked for us to watch. Why why is this the the movie for you? Because I love this movie. This movie, I you know, in the same way that a, uh, a broken clock is is right twice a day, I agree completely with Mary in saying that I think that Harold and Maude is one of the greatest love stories of our time. I <laughs> possibly uh, the only thing from that movie that you do agree with, and and I would like to I would like to let our listeners know that I had picked this movie before we watched. There's something about Mary, uh, and was was. Uh, almost apoplectic when when uh they brought it up in the film because i dislike that film so much and yeah you did actually like, talk about taking it off because yeah of i was that. like do we need to take this this off the list because i i just i i can't but um i think that's a that there's a good um in for uh for for everyone because it's been mentioned in a movie that we've uh that we've spoken about and um it, it, it's a movie that that i just i just think this movie is is so funny and um i i i just i really uh i i i love this film it is it is so strange and wonderful um but i know that uh i am in a, a minority in thinking that because this is a cult classic and uh when it was released in december 20th 1971 um it garnered 
horrible reviews. I think my favorite quote is that Variety magazine called it as much fun as a burning orphanage, which to me is hilarious. <laughs> Not the, a burning orphanage, but just that turn of phrase, I think, is perfect for this film. <laughs> it, uh, it's great. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, we're going to have a, probably a fair bit to talk about on this one. And I'm I bet uh, Evan is uh, just very anxious to know what we both thought about it. But before we uh, get there, maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, how this movie came to be. Yeah. Um, so as I said, it was released December 20th, 1971. Um, I think it ended up actually taking the slot from The Godfather, which wasn't done at the time am i right on that no i don't think so godfather was something got pushed back and they squeaked this in just for i don't remember what movie it was but they squeaked this in hoping to get in in time for award season which is why that late december release yeah and it it uh it just it had no real marketing and and just completely tanked because it is a a strange and divisive movie it cost uh you know 1.3 million dollars to make and uh made a a huge ten thousand dollars uh in its in its week in theater so like a complete complete bomb and yet because it did make it in for award season um Bud Court and Ruth Gordon um, were both nominated for Golden Globes for for Best Actor and and uh, Best Actress, and you know I I don't know exactly why it established such a cult following, but this is maybe the original sort of like cult classic film um, that one that that has ended up sort of like playing in in different rep theaters like all the time um you know like run for a couple of years in like minneapolis montreal detroit paris the the german city of of essen it's been shown continuously since june 6 1975 with the exception of uh of a a 10-week break um due to corona in 2020 um and it's definitely gone up in esteem uh you know as we said like it it's name dropped in something about mary it you know the afi um you know puts it on their their comedy list writers guild it's it's ranked um you know one of the top all-time comedies and rom-coms um in a in a lot of lists which is pretty impressive for a film that was written as like a master's thesis basically um for in in film writing um so you know it's it's cool that it's had that kind of that kind of arc um and even today like rotten tomato score of 19 of uh, 86 yeah i think i think one of the things for me where you can see maybe how it taps into the right stuff at in that era. I mean, it's directed by Hal Ashby, which if you ever even saw a picture of this guy, you're like, okay, this guy is about as hippie 1971 guy as you can get. It's got a lot of those kind of counter culture, uh, you know, anti-war, whatever kind of elements. So it's definitely easy to see how uh, it can build some of that momentum after the fact. And I think, you know, Ruth Gordon, who, um, you know, had already won some Academy, had won one Academy Award, uh, as well as some um, other nominations and Golden Globe wins, like, is something to see in this movie. Uh, and uh, definitely has some name recognition in, in that era. So I, th- I think there's enough where you can see how it's going to hit the right tone with the, the right folks. But that's something I'm going to be really interested to talk about as we go, because I do think there's that big, you know, play of counterculture and, you know, being of a certain era for the, the right kind of folks at the right time. But um, I'm I'm curious uh, now that we've, you know, seen it, uh, Michael, as the kind of somewhat not having seen this, uh, is this a movie that you'd recommend to people? Is this something you enjoyed? I would not recommend it and I did not enjoy it, but with caveats on both, because I did not remember what type of movie it is. And I think actually it, it is it is two movies in one. Uh, it starts out in a very bizarre way and and where Evan thinks it's the funniest thing he's ever seen. I don't think it's funny at all. But then 
towards the end, it actually becomes a different movie and it's incredibly sweet and incredibly moving and has huge messages uh, about life and about how you should should live it uh, to the best. That part, if I could bottle that up and recommend that, I would recommend it to everyone. But it's very hard for me to recommend the entire movie as a whole because it's just I, I did not in, enjoy it as a whole. Um, but there were parts that I thought, wow, this is actually really good. If you could maybe distill it down like one of Maud's uh, scent uh, things and just give them the <laughs> right. that there was a the setting. Movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about how about you, Evan? Is this uh, is this something you're you're still uh, deeply in love with? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I I think that this movie is so funny and so scathing and so wry and so touching. Um, it it really covers a lot of ground for me, and uh, and I just you know. I would be careful on who I recommended it to, but I think that there, uh, I, I think that, that people who, you know, enjoy a, uh, uh, a black comedy, the, this is, this is a, a black comedy with, um, real sweetness to it. Um, this to me is, you know, it's the, uh, double salt licorice that I love so much that Michael sometimes brings back from Sweden for me. <laughs> I, uh, I found myself, um, watching this movie and being l- a little bit like this kind of reminds me of a Wes Anderson movie. Um, uh, like it's weird, quirky characters, very weird story, unique visual style. Like not to say it's all the way Wes Anderson, but I'm like, for me, there's, there's echoes of something, um, there. Uh, I would and, say but Tim like, Burton too. Yeah, uh, certain elements of it too. Yeah, mm. especially some of the the yeah, exactly. Certain certain other directors where you're like, hey, maybe if you like those, maybe then. Uh, but I'm a little bit kind of in the camp of Michael where I didn't really find parts of it funny, um, and I didn't. What's the right way to put it? I think it's a very like genuine movie in a lot of ways where they're really trying to make the point about like you know enjoy life and there's a lot of things out there to enjoy i found we went over the same ground a little bit too much for my taste like there's not a lot of like narrative and stuff driving this movie it's more kind of about those those messages and some of the 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 humor that goes into it so it didn't didn't really land for me i don't think this is something that i would um recommend uh but i mean we're gonna get into it. So uh, maybe we'll take a quick break and we'll talk about why we landed where we did on this movie. uh, And we'll be right back. Oh, hey, welcome back. Uh, So we are going to uh, spoil everything uh, about Harold and Maude. So uh, brace yourselves uh, because we are going to start doing that right now and run away if you don't want spoilers. So what is Harold and Maude about? Well, Harold is a young man obsessed with death. Uh, His dreary existence brightens when he meets Maude, who's a free-spirited 79-year-old woman with an insatiable zest for life. Their relationship deepens as Maud teaches Harold how to enjoy life and defy society's expectations. So, I mean, Michael kind of touched on it up front. Uh, this is a movie that is um, a black comedy. It's got some, you know, serious notes to put in about, you know, living your best life and how to do that. It veers from uh, uh suicide and death over to like stealing cars and stealing trees. And like, it's a little bit all over the place. So I'm very curious. Like I know Evan, you kind of put this in black comedy, but again, this is kind of one of these movies where we're watching it. And it's one of those, like, this is a little bit hard to nail down for me. Is this one style of movie for you? Or is it a bunch? I mean, I feel like we can, uh, we can kind of take a page out of, was it uh, uh, Takeshi Miike who said that uh, genre labels are there for uh, reviewers and, and no one else, Chris? Uh, yeah, I, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I, I feel like it's, it's there. Like to me, you know, this is, uh, this is a love story. It's a character piece. It is a, an extremely, darkly funny movie um 
It is satirical. Um, it can be farcical at times. And, uh, and, and, and I'm here for it. I, I am, I'm here to embrace all of the parts of, of this film. I don't agree. And <laughs> I think, <laughs> I, I think that it is, there's one thing to say that it's all these things, you know, we, we shouldn't be too obsessed with genres. There's a different thing to say uh, back to what we talked about last week. It's like, if you, you need to know who you are and this movie, I don't think knows what it is. Really? And it's doing a lot of things at once. And then it actually does. It's kind of like, it's got this super sweet movie in there uh, with a beautiful message. It's just hiding and you have to dig through a bunch of layers to, to find it. And this is going to really annoy you. So brace yourself. Okay. I think this is important in what it did the same way that uh, there's something about Mary was important because it set the stage for subsequent movies later on. I don't think that this is that movie, but I think it was really important in people going, oh, wow, we can do that. We can tell stories differently. And they could um, improve on that concept and do something new with it. And I think that those wouldn't be successful if this hadn't done it first. I just think that this really struggles with trying to be too many things and it's not and it shifts it, it oscillates between uh, different genres or, or types that doesn't upset me at all michael like I, I i think that's that's a totally valid i i found myself that's you know i made the comparison to wes anderson and i found myself thinking a little bit of like or okay royal tannenbaums or something where you have these like deeply flawed deeply hurt people in this like truly bizarre and weird setup you know, kind of existence uh, that they're in in that movie, uh, except yeah, I'm kind of with Michael there where it kind of like veers a little bit too off the rails in different directions at points. I found like when you've got these two, um, I don't want to say very graphic, but very graphic suicide like scenes within the first 10 or 15 minutes. Um, I'm like, OK, where is this movie going? And to Michael's point, by the end, it's a very different film though you still have these kind of like you know fake suicides playing out throughout so i just i was never quite sure where this movie was trying to go and that kind of like tripped me up but i mean to that point i can under also understand how you can get to a movie like you know royal tannenbaums or uh you know what something like that where you're like okay i can see how you connect the dots you know 30 years later or whatever to get those types of films right and i think that you can definitely you know, connect the dots on, on where the film itself goes, because, you know, those opening shots, uh, are so close to, you know, very, very close, uh, shots of, of Harold and there it is, they are so dark and so deliberate. And the closing shot of the movie is, uh, you know, a very, very, very wide shot. He's quite far away. He's, he's, you know, walking along the cliff. It's bright. It's light. He is gone from, uh, from a, a, a place of, of, of darkness and, and death obsession, uh, obsession and, and a need for, um, uh, a, a need for, for acknowledgement from his, uh, from his mother, or from anyone, uh, need for attention to, um, be in his, be in his, his, uh, you know, new life affirming self playing banjo. But but that's what I mean. Like I that that's what I mean about what it does so well towards the end. In the beginning, you just see that he is mean to others, self-obsessed. Uh he just does these things. Uh essentially it's not about him dealing with stuff, it's about doing it to other people. And then you explain it and go, okay, I start to understand a little bit more about him. It's just that um especially when you start to look at some of the the uh girls that that get brought in. Like they, ha they have nothing to do with us in terms of they have no guilt in, in his, yet he is putting them through some really terrible things. And we're supposed to laugh at that, but in, in reality, he's just a, a jerk. But then later, it all makes sense. And he explains about the one time that he got a reaction from his mother was when she believed that he was actually dead. And it's like, wow, this is, this is really, really good. It's just, it is too much all over the place for me that, yes, at rewatch, you would get that. 
and you can enjoy it in a different way. But first, it was just like, hang on, like this is this makes no sense. But then later, all of a sudden, it does. Yeah, it's, I f- I found the same kind of thing where I was like, I think the the those kind of arcs that the characters go on and the things that drive those characters. Uh, again, it's kind of one of those things that if you'd found out a little bit earlier in the movie, I think it would have made some of the the things that happened. Like, especially I, I find I, I, I don't like Harold. That's the thing for me. I adore Maud. I mm-hmm. don't like Harold. Uh, and um, I even found by the end that there hadn't been enough to redeem Harold for me. I just don't like him. Uh, so like, forget Harold, you know, fuck Harold. I don't like him. Uh, Maud is great. So I wish it was like Maud and that other guy, because um, that's kind of what it was a little bit more um, for me, because I found kind of to Michael's point, like um, that opening scene really, I think it doesn't do a bad job of setting what this movie is uh, about, where you kind of got this whimsical Cat Stevens music playing as you've had this long tracking shot uh, following Harold, uh, and then he hangs himself. Uh, and it's very jarring. Uh, and I found that's kind of what happened throughout the movie, where it's just like, oh my God. Uh, and not in like a fun way or in a way that made me think or in a, it was just like sometimes it felt like it was just too much and like yeah i think harold's a jerk uh so i don't re- i don't know I, I i found it hard to kind of buy in to him um but i think one of the things about that too and maybe that's that's why it was a little bit of the challenge was um there's not much or i felt anyway at least that there isn't much plot to this movie like it just essentially follows Harold meeting Maud and then the two of them kind of hanging out getting to know each other and the kind of evolution of the relationship there isn't necessarily anything um happening from a narrative perspective to to move things along am I wrong uh I don't know that you're completely wrong on that I will say you know where there might not be a lot of you know like plot points happening um but there is a lot of growth and and so i'm there for that um it's the it's the sort of watching um harold begin to bloom like a daisy um and going on that that sort of journey with him that he is uh you know going to to sort of embrace life and and start um, being being someone who isn't afraid to live. Um, to me, that's that is uh, as as good a narrative as any. I hundred percent agree with you about the. It's not a problem for me that the lack of like big plot things moving along because that in itself, the way you said it, that's enough to to have a movie. Because it just kind of like the, the whole thing is around um, this obsession with death and things withering away and uh, people who walk around and they're all like this whole thing around the daisies, right? Like the tragedy that people, everyone's unique. Everyone has something different, yet people act as though they're just the same and part of something. And kind of like that is a beautiful, beautiful point. But then you throw in this, in my mind, this idiotic thing around the uncle and the army and the military uh, and the thing around the tree that they want to do that might have a nice thing in there, but then chasing around with the the cop on the motorcycle. Uh, it's just, there's so many things where I just go like, ugh. but the core thing of it, I, I don't blame them at all for having like, maybe it's a pretty simple thing because it's a beautiful uh, plot, like just around like this person who was so obsessed with the one thing and getting him to open up and think about life in a different way, oh, that's worthy of a of a movie. Just that little thing on its own. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm there with you because I found some of the other stuff was um, distracting. I found I found going back to the um, the suicide uh, gags over and over and over wore a little thin on me. Uh, and to your point, you're like, 
for me, there was a little bit of repetition, which I didn't love where it's like, okay, so uh, he goes, has a wacky adventure with Maud. Uh, Maud instills some wisdom and insight into leading your best life. Uh, he goes and scars some other poor girl with a suicide uh, attempt in front of his mother uh, and then repeat that pattern. And I think that's where it wore out a little bit on me, where I wish it had been a little bit less of the same, uh, like suicide thing, hijinks with Maud. And then life lesson with mod kind of pattern that played out a few times there. I found by the end that wore a little thin with me. And that was a little bit hard to be like, okay, are we doing this again? That's where I think the lack of that kind of like narrative thing wore out on me where I was just like, okay, I get it. We're going back. Yeah. Mod's great. She's teaching him how to live. I get it. Can we move this along please? Cause mod's great. And the other guy was fine. Uh, <laughs> but you know, Hey, um, so I, I think one of the questions I had, um, you know, after watching this movie, obviously, you know, Maude is a big driving force in it. She's got this, um, you know, zest for life. L-I-V-E, live! Uh, is Maude the original, you know, manic pixie dream girl for, for all these movies that follow where she's this wacky, zesty woman who is, you know, the perfect match for this other guy and makes him truly appreciate life because she's so wonky and out there? Yeah, I I think she is. And and in being the original one, still ending up subverting it by being 79 years old and not sort of uh, 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 a hot 22 year old punk goth or, or whatever. You know what or I mean? Cameron like Diaz or whatever. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Or Cameron Diaz. Um, but uh, yeah, I is she? Yeah, I, I, I think she is. And uh, I, I think that's great. I really love the depiction of um, a, a senior being that character. I think it's I think it's exciting. It's still something that we don't see a whole lot of um, today. That part, I think, is bang on. Like, technically, she's not. The original, because you go back a couple of years and you have uh, Jane Fonda and Rob Redford and uh, Barefoot in the Park, but exactly mm. what you said around, exactly what you said around, like here you have a senior and she's actually not too far playing the age uh, of, of the character in the movie because she was about seventy five yeah, when she 70s, yeah. she did this, and and it's brilliant like that in itself that is so out there and it's 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 an amazing take. So many times, and very similar to like the, the Jane Fonda thing I mentioned, the many times it would be like, this is a person I could spend 45 minutes with and then I would have to be like, okay, I've, I've had enough. It's too exhausting for me. Um, I don't love the character all the times, but I love that the character exists in the context of this movie because it really is so unique and different. And it's like, good for you. That That's brilliant. Yeah, I again, I love Maud. Um I think one of the interesting things for me is for me a little bit anyways, in the, in that same way that the manic pixie dream girl in a lot of, you know, rom-coms or whatever, uh, winds up being a little bit flawed because you're like, okay, he, she's great for that guy. I think the thing that was missing for me a little bit was like, what's in it for Maud? Like, I think Maud deserves better than Harold. Uh, so that's the part I'm interested in is the, uh, the connection between the two of them, because, I mean, you can see what she has to offer him. I was a little bit lost on the what she was getting out of the um, Harold relationship. Beyond, like, I can understand it as the, like, hey, here's a soul who's maybe in a distant, you know, distant version of myself. Maybe I can see that. I think it's interesting, though, as it moves more into that romantic aspect of of that relationship between the two of them. So I don't know. What did I miss there? Well, I don't know that she's looking back and going, that's a distant version of myself. I mean, Maud likes to make things grow. Um, you know, I mean, she, she basically says as much. And I think in seeing Harold, she sees um, a seed that she wants to uh, nurture. nurture before she dies. Because she has already made her decision um, when she meets Harold that uh, before she has met Harold, that that she is going to um, kill herself yeah. at the end of the week. 80 and years so, and no more. Yeah. And so to me, it is kind of that last um, 
that last bit of of nurturing. And as things get super romantic on Harold's side, I think that Maud seems happiest when she is has has seen Harold grow a little bit and and um and bloom a little bit and and that is sort of her last life affirming act is to pass on that um that sense of uh joie de vivre to someone else and i i i think that that is what she gets out of it yeah and i think actually they they established that early on around her view on, you know, people don't own things, possessions. Uh, so it, like, I think that she has this genuinely, like she, she can enjoy his company and the time that they have together. And, and it doesn't have to mean uh, it's going to be for however long. She probably has, there's been a, a, a series of heralds in her life mm-hmm. at different ages of different ages. And, and, different roles because she just genuinely seems like that sort of person who's like, not, I'm going to take advantage of you. No, I'm, I'm not going to get anything out of it, but it's like, we pass through this together. So that part is kind of nice. Actually. I don't think that she needs to get anything more out of it than, than that. But then plus what you mentioned around like helping someone else see the value in growth and life and change. Like I think that too, for sure. You know, in fact, thinking about what you just said, Michael, makes me wonder, you know, in terms of there having been other heralds in her life, if the artist that uh, Harold finds her posing for, um, you know, early in the, in the movie, if that guy was, was a herald at or one point. Or is a herald. Or is a herald, yeah. yeah. Or is a herald, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's why it's uh, it's it's the part that made me um, uh, when I hear people be like Mary being like, it's one of the most romantic movies of all times. I'm like, I don't know that I would describe this as romantic. Like, there's a lot of uh, uh, love and you know those kind of types of things, but I don't know that I would add the word romantic to the necessarily there's a caring, nurturing, loving. Yes. But like romance, I don't think is one of those things that I would necessarily say is there, but um, yeah, it's an interesting thing, but I, I I don't think we can kind of like really move on from this topic until we start actually talking about like the actual performances, especially the two lead characters uh, in this movie. So Ruth Gordon is Maude uh, and Bud Court as Harold. So, uh, I mean, obviously, I think from my my um, upfront comments, I think Ruth Gordon in this movie is great. She is delightful. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. <laughs> Ruth Gordon is great. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Uh, I also <laughs> think that. Yeah, bye. Um, you know, there's there is a lot packed into her performance because she is carrying a lot of history with the character of Maude as well. There's a moment in particular that really solidifies a, a, that character for me. And it's it's not just a performance. It's actually um, a shot of the tattoo on Maud's arm, numbered tattoo. And that, like, when I was, you know, beginning to, like, study film a little bit, like, really kind of nailed the idea of, of like, semiotics for me. So, like, the idea that, like, this thing points to something else, if you if you kind of know, like symbolism is, is kind of like under the semiotics banner, it's part of it. And it's basically semiotics is kind of like, a, if you know, you know, sort of thing like and so when you when you see you know a concentration camp tattoo on her arm suddenly so much of that character makes sense and you know if you know you know and i think that ruth gordon does a fantastic job of even if you don't know all of that history of um of pain and loss still reads under as an undercurrent to everything in her performance and i think that is really really masterful yeah i i would agree cuz there's definitely those moments where you just have those brief moments where it bubbles up in some way and you understand that there's um uh, you know she wasn't always just some like 
vacuous Pollyanna who's like, life is great. But like that, there's a reason that she's chosen to lead life in this way because it wasn't always great because she references her uh, husband from before and it doesn't necessarily sound like the best time. And you're like, okay, there's something there. I don't need the backstory. Like I can believe that, you know, she's, she's made a choice to lead life in this way and totally understand how she's trying to get other people to, to head down uh, that path as well. But, but this is where I think the, you look at the, is that great acting? It becomes great acting the same way that the characters go through terrific arcs um, because of the changes that they do. In the beginning, beginning, she is just completely one-dimensional and she's a weird something-something that you don't even understand. But then you add in these things and explain over time. Like, what what is it that's okay about stealing people's cars nonstop and not thinking around it. What is it that that's okay about doing all these things? Oh, it's because I've embraced life and I've had this background. It's like, it makes zero yeah. sense. And same with, with the Harold uh, character around, oh, I do all these things, but then later I, I truly understand the motivation for it. Like there's something there that is great. She terrific acting because you get to see the entire range of this character throughout the movie and go like, wow, that that's impressive. I don't actually love her character for um, a fair chunk of the movie, but then later you look at it and go, okay, I, I really understand you. The acting is terrific. I'm not sure I love the character though. Mm. Like there are aspects of the character where I would say, that's amazing. You picked your own thing, but you're also like, that's not amazing for the people around you in your life. Yeah. All of these who are not treated as important at all, like the Reverend, you know, like it's just, that was my car. And uh, faced yeah, it but, and know. stole it. And yeah, I, I, I found those other moments too, where uh, to your point, I struggled. Okay. I, again, Ruth Gordon and Maude are great. Uh, I found the parts where she was like straight up dumb, uh, troubling where it's like, Oh, the police are following us. Oh, they sure love to play games. It's like, what? Like you just sped away from a traffic stop. Like you're not you're not dumb. Like, I don't know. Like there's a few of those moments where I'm just like, really, are we doing this? Okay. Oh, it's funny. Cause I, it doesn't feel like to me, like she's sort of playing dumb. It's more that she's playing, playing up a reverence to Harold to show him that, um, the, the fragility of systems because she has lived through, uh, the complete collapse of, of, of her own a few times. I mean, she says, you know, like I, I, I've died a few times, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, and you can imagine that because like you sort of do the math and if like, if she's 80 and let's say this is like 1970 when she was, you know, born, you know, 1890. So she's like, which then kind of like, kind of twists the noodle a little bit because then you're like, Oh, okay. So like, so she was like, you know, 24 with first world war happening. She would have been in her forties yeah. for second world war and, and the Holocaust. So there's, there's all of these things where you're like, Oh wow. Okay. She has seen, she has seen so much, real death, so much real destruction, so much uh, 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 seismic changes within systems. And she's sort of made it her own job to show people that there is impermanence, um, you know, in her own sort of like playful way. And so I, I kind of get it. And I can see why she probably wouldn't like cops you know, she probably wouldn't like authority. I can get that. I think I think where for me, it's like just a whole series of choices where it's like, OK, and every car I drive, I'm going to drive with my foot on the floor, careening around <laughs> corners and maybe rolling over this car. Like what, there's that uh, Lonely Island song about like, you know, YOLO where you only live once. And it's like, yeah, so you should save responsibly and take care of your health. Like, I think there's a little bit of disconnect at some point somewhere in there between like living in this whimsical, um, challenging norms way. And just some point where you're like, no, seriously, you're just going to kill yourself in a car wreck. I mean, if that's okay with you, I, and, I guess. And put other people. Yeah, right. Risk. Exactly. Like, this is the thing. Like, there's just, the, it's one thing if it's just like due to herself, 
my my point was earlier about the the reverend and and everyone else on the the roads is like this no so because of what i've gone through and what i've learned from it i'm going to put everyone else at risk and treat it that way that is the disconnect where i go like it's kind of hard to root for this character um from that perspective but then when she because of the acting being so yeah. good can i being this completely ha 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 to then kind of showing the real depth to it they go that's very powerful i'm not sure that that's like carte blanche now like we're gonna forgive you for everything else that you've done but but the actor like the, that performance is very, very so powerful. who do you think has the higher collateral driving body count uh mod or vin diesel in uh, the fast and the furious movies if she had made 11 of these probably not <laughs> but i mean it's probably good for all of our safety that at the end of this movie she kills herself because society would be in danger eternally until mod was done away with plus i plus i think it's well it, it's a little bit like uh, inflation right like if you take 1971 uh car collateral and you do apply inflation over 50 years yeah you'd probably be up there but like vin diesel yeah yeah it's true in this movie they wrecked one car precisely one car uh whereas in the first fast and the furious what was it like 79 cars or something Mm -hmm. they destroyed Mm -hmm. so yeah that's that's car inflation in movies for you folks um so moving on maybe to harold um i'm curious what you thought about bud court's performance there i think that uh bud court's performance is like the basis for uh you know we we mentioned sort of like tim burton earlier like bud court makes me uh, as Harold makes me wonder if Tim Burton saw this and went like, yep, that's sort of what I, who I'm going to base myself on kind of thing. And like, it's a very like Wednesday Adams performance mm-hmm. to me. And that, uh, and, and Wednesday Adams in terms of like the Christina Ricci and the new Netflix series Wednesday versus like the Wednesday Adams from like the, television mm-hmm. show. So I really like the deadpanning. I really like the theatrical flourishes that he he gives his uh, and, and, and deliberateness that he gives his his um, fake suicides. Uh, I'm, I'm good with with uh, Bud Court's performance. I think that it I think that it works in, in this context. OK, so I'm going to go about it a little bit different. I think that he's an amazing actor in this but i hate the stuff in the beginning i think it is too much it's too and and it's only in the context of seeing later the first time you see him smile genuinely smile because he's having some reaction that he hasn't had before he's seeing something new about life and experience you go wow that is incredible all the previous stuff has helped to lead up to this point because it now makes it know to, like it, it means something that he's doing a new thing. He's having a new emotion. He's experiencing something new. He's breaking out of that previous thing. But I, I very much dislike the character that he plays up to that point. I don't think it is fun at all. I don't think it is, you know, like, but the difference uh, really matters and because you see it. And that's where I think also like um, the, the Wednesday character you mentioned is a little bit different because once he never really goes through that, it's always just the one thing possibly with an eyebrow, you know, but here there's a drastic difference. And I think that you can really appreciate it more. It just takes a long to get there. Uh, and, and it wasn't always enjoyable for me. Yeah. I, I struggled to disconnect the choices between, um, the, the, the character as was written, the performance of that character and the directing that it went into some of those choices. I, I, one of the reviews I read made some comment basically to like a wax figure, and like there's big chunks of the first part of the movie where he barely speaks. Um, so it's a little bit hard to get a read on this guy besides like, all right, he keeps pretending to kill himself in front of his mom. And OK, I don't know what else to make of this guy because he said so little. He's been so like, you know, just like deadpan, barely responding to things. So it's a it's an interesting one for me to try to like carve out the. Um, you know, is this, is this Bud Court? Is this the character? Is this Hal Ashby and the directing he gave? But yeah, uh, it's, it's a challenging one. Again, uh, I like mod. Um, so I'm, I'm all the way on team mod. Um, so maybe here's a good point to take a quick break. And on the other side, we can maybe have a quick conversation about the lady who broke him. Uh, we'll be right back. 
so we're back. Uh, there's two big roles in this movie, obviously Harold and Maud, uh, but probably the next biggest role uh, is the role play played by Harold's mom, played by Vivian Pickles. I'm I'm curious what both of you think of her in this movie. Uh, I, I think so. First off, I think uh, just as a name, Vivian Pickles, chef's kiss. Great name. <laughs> yep. Um, I, I, I really enjoy her performance. One of, I think, the funniest uh, scenes for me in the whole thing is when she's doing like the uh, setting um, Harold up for a uh, uh, the the computer dating yeah. and going through and it's just like that that has me in in stitches like that to me is such a funny bit and her her deadpanning of things her frustration uh with with things and and even after the particularly bloody suicide uh uh in the bathroom where she's just like, I can't take it anymore. And she gets that, uh, you know, Harold gets that, that snap of dopamine and she has a, like her reaction is like, I, I think very honest there. Uh, but she is, she is so distant and so terrible and so controlling and infantilizing, but also dismissive, um, and I, I think that that everything that she does helps you go like, oh, I totally get why Harold is why Harold is. Yeah, but actually, I wish I could just maybe we'll do this in the edit, but like go back and take exactly what Chris had said about trying to separate the the way the character was written, the actor performance and the directing makes it very hard with someone like that because I, I think that there's this, there are times when you completely sympathize with her and there are other times when you go, oh yeah, exactly that. This is why he is who he is. And it is not super consistent. There are times when I think that she is a victim in all this. There's times when I think that he is the victim. And then there are times when it's just plain absurd. Um, so you say that like, it's a bad thing. And, and that's what makes me wonder, you know, it's like watching uh, succession, which I haven't seen. Uh, but apparently, this is going to be know, a good people, analogy, right? Like, <laughs> so well, the dinosaurs me, come into succession, like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but like people tell me that, you know, it's like, it's a movie about your TV series about terrible people. And, uh, you know, you're, sort of end up rooting for this person, but then they do something awful and then you hate them. And then they, you know, they no longer feel like a, uh, a victim or someone to root for. You're rooting for this person now, kind of, and then they do something and they're terrible. It's, it's complexity and that's okay. Sure. But, but, but let, let, let me clarify. It's because it's really good writing, really good directing and really good acting. So that that's the difference. Wait, versus Harold and Mod? <laughs> yeah, fair. Shots fired. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad we could straighten that out. Good, thank you. There you go. I mean, uh, here's what I will say. I, I, out of all the characters, I, 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 okay, I didn't like Harold. I thought Maud was. Um, delightful i didn't find either of them funny though i found um vivian pickles at points to be the only one who i thought was funny in the movie so just some of those moments where it's that like overdone like haughty accent where she's like oh harold what have you done it's like okay yeah there's just a couple moments where to your point answering answering the questionnaire where it's like could a woman be present well, I don't see why not. Yes. And it's like just going down some of the I'm like, there's a few moments in there where I appreciated the the uh, levity and humor. I mean, I think one of the interesting things about Harold's mom is she is a willing or unwilling participant in a number of scenes, which I think are a great way to get a lens on how Hal Ashby directed this movie. So there is some very interesting uh, framing and editing that goes on uh, throughout this movie, including in all these scenes where Harold's mom brings these poor unwitting women uh, into the house to have Harold do terrible things and forever traumatize them. And you get these great views of like Harold immolating mm. himself, 
out the window. Uh, Harold committing seppuku in the middle of the living room. There's a lot of really interesting framing and visuals that Hal Ashby puts into this movie. It's an interesting way to um, juxtapose Harold and everything that's going on in Harold's world with everything else that's going on in these bright Carl situations. No, I, I think that that you're right. And that is something that happens throughout this film, not just in in those moments where, uh, you know, Harold self immolates, but, um, you know, like the the uh, funeral procession coming out of the church and then like the marching by band uh, going by. There's always there. There always seems to be these little counterpoints, or at least there's there's a lot of stuff that happens in the backgrounds of scenes um, that uh, can draw the eye, um, sometimes play in like, a, you know, Harold and Maude looking at the tree for the first time and uh, that that they're eventually going to steal and the cops coming out and like looking at the car and walking around and and trying to figure out what's gone on. And so there's there's always like there's interesting things to look at. Um, and the fact that that Hal Ashby, you know, comes from editing, that doesn't surprise me. Um, that that he he's wanting to draw the eye um, in different ways, and so I I think that that sort of carries through. But to your point about like Wes Anderson, I feel like you know that's another thing that sort of like you know carries through uh, in this sort of like lineage um, from one to the next. And another way to take Chris's question, which is less charitable, is I feel like there are certain things that the director really wanted to tell there's certain kind of like scenes, visual, certain things they wanted to get across and then say, how could I do this? And how could I link them together? And it doesn't always make sense, but it would just be like, but that would be so much fun to do. I, I want to show this thing. I want to have that thing set up and, uh, you know, torpedoes be damned, right? Like we're, we're just going to go through it, whether it makes sense or not. Whereas I think, uh, and, and, you know, I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan. I think he does nothing, Without a reason, I think everything is pre-calculated. People don't necessarily love it, but it's there for a reason. Here, I think it just felt like things were slapped together. What was the point of the marching band? Who the heck knows? Would a marching band actually do that if they saw a funeral uh, progression? It's very hard for me to see that they that they would. Um, the whole thing around the the mom, like it's like yes, there were three interested like someone had this idea about like having these deaths happen. So I'm going to stage them. Did they make sense Were they needed? Well, I don't know, but I wanted to show these three different things. Okay. So let's do it. Um, it just seemed a little bit more like I want to do these things. And then what's, how could we possibly include them in the movie? That that's the impression I got. Yeah. I, I, I did alternate between, Hey, that was really clever. Uh, I like the way it's shot. I don't like what's going on. Um, or, um, like I found there's also some really beautiful cinematography that went in at various points just to say like the scene where they're talking about the flowers and you get this, uh, shot of, you know, this whole, whole field of these flowers. You're like, that's very pretty. That's beautiful. Uh, you know, and same with, even with the, um, shot as they, they pull back on, uh, you know, the cemetery, uh, where you're like, I don't know, there's something, um, touching or moving or beautiful or I don't know what quite the right word is, but like there's some great scenes. And actually, even to touch on the point that um, Evan pointed out earlier, when you find out about, um, you know, when you see the the shot of the tattoo on Maud's forearm, like it is a really well crafted um, edit where other things are going on. You just get this quick snippet like you know you're saying evan where it's like if you know you know you don't need to linger on it it lingers on it for the exact right amount of time for it to register and you go like oh and then it kind of moves back and you can kind of see this reaction on harold's face that plays out or like oh shit like he realizes something too and like there's some very um clever editing framing directing that go that goes on there i mean like all credit to hell ashby he wasn't a slouch he'd already won an academy award for editing for in the heat of the night so uh you know he isn't um you know certainly aware of how to how to kind of like manage around these things edit around these things uh, i think this is the second movie that he 
directed. Um, but I, it, it's an interesting one for me because I actually find the palette uh, and, um, you know, a lot of the way that this movie looks uh, to be pretty enticing. Like you're saying, like there's a certain palette here that's like Wes Anderson-ish and it's bright colors even as this other absurdity uh, is going on uh, around it. Yeah, and the institutional whites and grays and, you know, the the super dark kind of stuffy tones of, of Harold's house. I think it, it is all kind of, it, it does play towards, um, uh, you know, v- visual symbolism, you know, like it, it just, it, it, it registers in a certain way. Um, and, uh, and I think that it does it really successfully. I think it's interesting you mentioned about the editing because like the, Entire ending sequence is simultaneously, it's really well done how they keep editing between and shifting between what's going on in the hospital and his drive uh, away um, out to the coast. Yet it also highlights some real bizarre things about the directing because it's like they arrive at the, the hospital and there's no sense of urgency from anyone on the hospital staff. It's just like, oh, let's take our sweet time and get you in here and they're having a normal conversation like there's a weird there's a weird sense of there's no urgency there's nothing going on here he seems upset but no one else seems upset so it's like kind of up to that point you go she's gonna be okay right even though you know she's not gonna be okay because you also see him driving and he's upset in the rain you know like it's just so it's kind of like the editing experiencing versus the experience versus the directing and how how do you kind of like piece it all together I don't know. I, I with the with the people at the hospital to me that is still very much of the kind of idea that these institutions are kind of cold and set in their ways, and um, that is kind of that is is hammered kind of throughout the 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 film and it also the the reaction of of the hospital staff still continues to uh show how much of an outsider Harold is he's the one who actually cares right now and you know now we're actually seeing outpouring of emotion from this person who you know was uh, as as Chris said earlier sort of like a, a wax figure at the beginning and so to have uh everyone else around him treating this like something that's like mundane when this is a guy who has been obsessed with death uh does not emote has has done so many um fake suicides is now presented with a real suicide and the specter of real death uh, as it is happening and not just sort of like being at a funeral or pretending his own stuff like that actually heightens the scene to me in that that sort of way that they're reactioning. I, I found, uh, so going back to like, there's no real narrative, like, you know, driving this this movie uh, that's where i struggled a little bit with like i felt like the mod suicide where it's like 80 i get it like she's somebody who is going to live life her on her own terms including how it ends totally get it it's just i found it weird like i just found i was like oh okay i guess it also partly feels like it's like well how do we wrap this up well she lives life on her own terms, including how it ends. So she's going to take pills. And I'm like, okay, I don't know. I just, I, I wasn't a hundred for this person who um, not long ago was, you know, cheerleading life and love every moment and savor everything and enjoy it as long as you can. Cause you don't know how long you get. I found it was a weird zig. I just, the, the ending didn't wrap it up kind of in a way that, I mean, I guess most of it was, wasn't in a way that I could get down with, but the ending also, um, I, I don't know. I figured like, Maud was just going to go out at 80 because she finally actually rolled her car over with the way she drives into a <laughs> supermarket in the middle of town, wiped out the whole town with her. I don't know. Um, I could have seen it being like that way. And then Harold would have been like, 
Ahmad, <laughs> bound to happen eventually. Live your life, girl. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know that there was a better way to wrap it up either. So um, one of the things, though, that I think is interesting about the way this movie both ends and begins uh, is Holy Moly, Cat Stevens songs. Uh, Holy Moly. What did you think of uh, the soundtrack to this movie? Well, uh, I own the soundtrack on vinyl because I'm that guy, just like I have this movie on DVD. Uh, and, and you've seen it. it yeah. TV, and I've seen it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think it's I think it's 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 so interesting to me that like you've got this um film that is basically scored almost entirely by like needle drops of the same artist like and again that sort of like uh, you know carries through to the kind of Wes Anderson thing it reminds me of like uh, Life Aquatic or something like that where you've got you know Bowie songs being done in Portuguese you know and, and it's just like and that's the the score kind of thing um that I think it I think it's really sweet and I think that it adds to the whole kind of like hippie vibe of the whole thing, man. By the know? way, I just I just won on my uh, buzzword bingo for this episode because I was like, Evan will not go this entire episode without saying the word vibe about this movie. Sure oh, enough, yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely a a seventiesness or whatever to you know a Cat Steven soundtrack, like or at least almost entirely Cat Steven soundtrack. Uh, but Michael, what what about you? As our uh, resident music aficionado, what did you think of the the music in this movie? I think there are two th- separate things. One is the music was very good. The other thing is the music didn't always make sense. And it wasn't until I kind of like read the notes after to say uh, he was originally meant uh, to write all new songs for the entire movie and ran out of time. And it was like, I did too. And the two made perfect sense. They were brilliant. But because um, the director had already used, kind of like had a bunch of placeholder songs by Cat Stevens, it was like, they decided to keep them in. And it was like, okay, so so those were previously made. The tone is right. The music is beautiful. But the lyrics are sometimes, like, I don't see how this fits in with the narrative. Um, no, so I'm, 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 I'm torn from that perspective. I think that it's amazing that they had the same, the same artist, album, music, like that was brilliant and for the ones that really like this this thing around the uh uh gosh was like the uh, a million things to see a million ways to be you know whatever like that was brilliant um but but there were times when it just didn't work for me because of the lyrics and i said this i don't see how these things fit together interesting i i kind of felt the same way at points but i will say like probably one of the most enduring things for me after watching this movie is you know some of those songs get stuck in your head mm-hmm. oh boy uh, do they ever yeah so walking away from this movie being like you know humming tunes like <laughs> <laughs> and like my wife was definitely like what are you singing i'm like uh yeah never mind so i think one of the questions i would have is you know looking at this movie today i mean it's 52 years i guess after this movie was made like it, was this a movie ahead of its time like i don't think this is a movie that would get made today uh but is this movie that was maybe too far ahead of its time and maybe that's why it didn't get some of the you know, recognition and success maybe at the time or like, is there something that could have changed there? Uh, you know, I think that this is uh, maybe ahead of its time, but in that same way that like that. And so that's why it's a cult classic. It, this movie eventually found its people. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, those people who, you know, those who, who like it, like it a lot kind of thing. And, um, and it has this outsized footprint um, pop culturally, like so many of the films, the older films we've we've watched. And you know, I think that that you could probably like remake this today, and it would still feel as relevant. I think that that there's still a lot to be um, gleaned from this film. I don't know who would play Harold and Maude now, um, 
but that would be an interesting remake to see with like, I don't know, like Phoebe Bridgers doing uh, the entire soundtrack or something. I think like, yeah, the, it's sort of in a way it's a, it's an impossible question to, to answer because you need these movies to swing for the fences and be weird and odd and not do well, because otherwise nothing would ever advance. Nothing would ever kind of move on. If we just did things, what would this have looked like to be more popular at the time? Well, it wouldn't have been as memorable, very likely. It would have been a whole different thing. So like, I I can really appreciate what it did and what it was. And it's hard to kind of comment on, well, what could they have done differently? Well, it wouldn't have been the same movie. So I'm glad that it exists. Um, I will say I'm glad we talked about it. I will not have any memories of this and kind of say, oh, I got to go back and do it. But like, it, it it's a necessary movie to advance how we think around movies and some of these stories and and, and advance the, the whole uh, genre. Genres. Which are only for critics. Yeah. So I, I think that, that, you know, you, you touched on that nicely, Michael. So you, you won't be returning to this film anytime soon. Uh, you know, Chris, same, same question to you. Like, uh, and I'm, I'm guessing I can, I can sort of, uh, foresee your answer. Will you be returning to this film anytime soon? Uh, no. Um, I think the thing that um, I will maybe continue trying to find out about this movie is if there are any extended uh, versions, outtakes behind the scenes of just how many takes they would have done with Harold trying to explore the wooden carving of a vagina. I think it's definitely it's it's absolutely it's Maude's a, vagina, yeah, it's a, right? Because yeah, so I'm wondering if there's like extra reels of that somewhere, and they're like, just keep going, yeah, keep going, and like I'm wondering if there's like an extra 15 minutes where they're like, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, do some other stuff because I think that would be hilarious to see. <laughs> um, but for the yeah, I think I'm I'm probably. I don't think I'd be coming back to this. I will say that I now get a number of references, which I appreciate, um, which have Mm -hmm. drawn from this movie. And, you know, as you've kind of said in previous episodes, like I I remember there was a um, like a family guy episode that made some joke about like when a young person's dating an older person. They're like, what would your grandchildren say? And they do like a zoom in on Stewie giving that rant, like the priest gives that really uncomfortable (laughs) zoom in where he's like, and the sagging flesh and the, and you're like, Oh God, that's just weird. I find myself really uncomfortable. So I appreciate that part of it. And I think I'll be more aware of that stuff. Um, Cause I do think this is, one of those things where you do find kind of those connect the dots moments in popular culture to people who love this movie, make reference to this movie and and that kind of thing. But yeah, I'm, I think I'm good. Evan, how often do you watch this movie? Um, you know, once every 10 years, you know, I, I, I do keep coming back to it. Um, I, you know, as, as I wear my, wear my heart on my sleeve with this one, I, I really love this movie. Um, and uh, and to me, it is still funny and uh, poignant and uh, just just a, a film that that I genuinely enjoy. Well, there you go. I think uh, that's a good place to call it. And that's what we thought about Harold and Maude. Uh, we'd love to know what you thought about this movie. Uh, you can always find us on uh, Twitter at How Did You Miss This? That's H-D-Y-M-T underscore pod. Uh, and while you're there, do us a favor. Take a look at some of the other stuff we've made, we're planning on watching, and stuff that's coming up soon. Send us questions, uh, thoughts, ideas. And hey, if there's a movie that you haven't seen that you want us to cover uh, to let you know whether it's worth it, let us know. Uh, in the meantime, do us a favor. Rate, review, subscribe, and do all that kind of clickety-click stuff that you can do on Apple Pod podcast spotify or wherever you happen to be listening uh, and we're going to be back next week uh, when we're going to be watching about time and seeing whether this romantic comedy is worth traveling back in time to watch or whether it's something that should stay missed thanks for listening we'll talk to you then